Father Tom Hopko, Federica Matthews Green, Clark Carlton, Matthew Gallatin, Kevin Allen, some of the names that you hear regularly on Ancient Faith Radio. Your support of AFR keeps the podcasts coming, and if you can help us today, go to ancientfaith.com and consider a regular monthly donation. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. That's ancientfaith.com, clicking on Donate Online. Thanks so much. The belief that God became man and dwells among us in Jesus Christ is at the very heart of Orthodox Christian life and worship. Orthodox worship, therefore, involves the whole person, heart, mind, body, and soul. In our services of worship, Christians pray and sing in liturgies that are not of this world. Ancient Faith Radio now presents Singing the Triumphal Hymn with Father John Finley, Exploring the Orthodox Faith, through music and liturgy. Father John is a composer and musician and is with the Missions and Evangelism Department of the Antiochian Orthodox Church. Here's Father John. We spoke in our last podcast of the daily cycle of services and the various themes contained therein and how the observance of these services help us to sanctify the day. We move now into the cycle of the week and uh, the various themes of each day of the week and how the observance of these themes and entering into the worship of the church through these themes helps us to sanctify the week. To begin this, I would like to give a little bit of a a backdrop. You know, we start with Sunday being the first day of the week and and speak of it as the first day of the week because uh, on that day the Lord was raised from the dead and the scriptures speak of it as the first day of the week. But let's talk about the first day of the first week and uh, see if we can find a connection from the very book of uh, Genesis, the first chapter of Genesis in why this Lord's Day is the day of days uh, around which everything revolves, uh, proceeds from, and leads to. In his commentary on Genesis 1-5, taken from uh, homily number 2 of the Hexameron by St. Basil the Great, He comments on this phrase, an evening and morning were one day. And I would like to read this commentary to you. He asked the question, why does the scripture say one day, not first day? And it's interesting because if you go and you look in uh, many Bibles, uh, many English translations of the Bible, it does say evening and morning were the first day. But uh, if we look at the, at the Greek, and uh, it's not going to say that. And so he is going to comment here on why it says one day and not the first day. Before speaking to us of the second, the third, and the fourth days, would it not have been more natural to call the one 
the first which began the series. If it therefore says one day, is it from a wish to determine the measure of a day and night and to combine the time that they contain? Now, 24 hours fill up the space of one day, and we mean of a day and of a night, and if at the time of the solstices they uh, have not both an equal length, the time marked by Scripture does not the less circumscribe their duration. It is as though it said 24 hours measure the space of a day, or that in reality a day is the time that the heavens started from a point, taking to return there. Thus, every time that in the revolution of the sun, evening and morning occupy the world, their periodical succession never exceeds the space of one day. But must we believe in a mysterious reason for this? God who made the nature of time measured it out and determined it by intervals of days, and wishing to give it a week as a measure, he ordered the week to revolve from period to period upon itself, to count the movement of time, forming the week of one day revolving seven times upon itself. A proper circle begins and ends with itself. Such is also the character of eternity, to revolve upon itself and to end nowhere. If then the beginning of time is called one day, rather than the first day, it is because Scripture wishes to establish its relationship with eternity. It was, in reality, fit and natural to call one the day whose character is to be wholly separated and isolated from all the others. If Scripture speaks to us of many ages, saying everywhere, age to age and ages of ages, we do not see it enumerate them as first, second, and third. It follows that we are hereby shown not so much limits, ends, and successions of ages as distinctions between various states and modes of action. The day of the Lord, the scripture says, is a great and very terrible, and elsewhere Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. The day of darkness for those who are worthy of darkness. No, this day, without evening, without succession, without end, is not unknown to Scripture. It is the day that the psalmist calls the eighth day because it is outside this time of weeks. Thus, whether you call it day, or whether you call it eternity, you express the same idea. Give this state the name of day, and there are not several, but only one. And if you call it eternity, still it is unique, and not manifold. Thus, it is in order that you may carry your thoughts forwards towards a future life, that scripture marks by the word one, the day which is the type of eternity, the first fruits of days, the contemporary of light, the holy Lord's day, honored by the resurrection of our Lord, and the evening and the morning 
were one day. But while I am conversing with you about the first evening of the world, evening takes me by surprise and puts an end to my discourse. May the Father of the true light, who has adorned day with a celestial light, who has made the fire to shine which illuminates us during the night, who reserves for us in the peace of a future age a spiritual and everlasting light, enlighten your hearts in the knowledge of truth, keep you from stumbling, and grant that you may walk honestly as in the day. Thus shall you shine as the sun in the midst of the glory of the saints, and I shall glory in you in the day of Christ, to whom belong all glory and power, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. This is St. Basil's com commentary on this verse. Evening and morning, one day, the day of eternity, whether you call it day or whether you call it eternity, you express the same idea, he says. And it is, uh, scripture marks this word, one, as the Lord's day, honored by the resurrection of the Lord. And so the Lord rose on the first day of the week and brought us into the eternity, into the eighth day of the Lord. And so the Sunday is a special day in which we enter, although we can celebrate the divine liturgy on any day. The Sunday is, is a special day in which we leave time, in, in a manner of speaking, and enter into the day of the Lord, the eighth day, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the feast of feasts, not just on Easter, but every Sunday. So this is the foundation of the week and marking the week, which God established when he created the heavens and the earth. And, you know, people sometimes ask when they're not familiar with uh, the worship uh, in the Orthodox Church, you know, why are you, why are you singing these songs in the, of the resurrection? It's the middle of September. <laughs> and uh, I was curious about that, too, when I first encountered the cycle of worship services. But as it was explained to me, it made all the sense in the world every Sunday is a little Easter, and every Sunday we get to sing the resurrection hymns. <laughs> uh, what, a, what a joy not to uh, be limited to singing the hymns of the resurrection just on one day, but uh, on every Sunday. So we move from that into the time of, uh, of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And each of these days have a theme to them and these and the hymns of these days found in the uh, what's called the paracletiki is the daily uh, cycle of the eight tones uh, carry the following themes Monday the angels Tuesday John the Baptist Wednesday and Friday the cross Thursday the apostles and curiously Saint Nicholas and uh, Saturday, all of the saints and martyrs and fathers who have gone on before us to their rest. It's interesting to think about this when we come into our church and we look at the iconostasis and we see Christ and Mary 
And then we see John the Baptist. We see the patron of the church. And we see the angels flanked on the deacon's doors. And isn't it interesting to see that these also, they're not just kind of, you know, arbitrarily put up on the iconostas, but these are the themes of each day of the week are up on our iconostasis. These principal icons express the communion, the, the fullness of the communion. Now, sometimes we think of communion just in terms of that time in the divine liturgy when I come forward having prepared myself to receive the Lord's body and blood and I receive these gifts from above for forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. But is this the sum and the totality of communion? When we read, for instance, in Hebrews chapter 11, and we look at all of the saints and all of history, Old Testament and in the beginning of the New, all of the saints that have gone on before us, we're in communion with them. When we raise our hearts and minds on high and make that procession and, and ascension into the Holy of Holies in the Divine Liturgy, we are surrounded by that communion of saints. But it's difficult for us to absorb all of that at once, to absorb and appreciate and become aware of that communion of all the saints in just like an hour and a half or so in the Divine Liturgy. And so the church, knowing this, I believe, gives us an opportunity throughout the week to pause and to meditate on each of these aspects of our communion. On Monday, we celebrate our communion with the angels. Do we believe we're in communion with the angels? Do we believe that, that we've been given a guardian angel in our baptism and our chrismation? Do we believe that St. Michael protects us and protects the faith? Do we believe that the angels of God, like, like the angel Gabriel, still, even to this day, as he came to, to the Virgin Mary with a great announcement of the salvation of the world, that messages are still carried by angels to humanity, even unto this day, and that they surround us and guard us and protect us and keep us in the faith? Monday is the opportunity to acknowledge that, to learn about it, to believe it, to enter into it. On Tuesday, we remember John the Baptist. And I can remember, it's funny, I, you know, I grew up in Trinity Baptist Church, you know, and of course, you know, the word, the word Baptist there was in reference to beliefs concerning baptism and, and, and that sort of thing. But there's something about, you know, John the Baptist that uh, I found a connection with as an early adult. And uh, John the Baptist is my patron saint. So John the Baptist, the Lord said, there's no man born of woman that is greater than him. And so wouldn't it be appropriate to give pause to reflect on the life of John the Baptist, the ministry of John the Baptist, and how he constantly points to the Lord, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And the life of uh, purity and repentance that he lived. 
asking for his intercessions and asking him to help us to live a pure and holy life at the same time. It's also curious, if you take a close look at these hymns, that the days of uh, Monday and Tuesday also contain a lot of hymns of uh, repentance. And these hymns of repentance are very powerful in terms of uh, turning our hearts towards really looking inside of ourselves, seeing our sins, and asking the angels and asking John the Baptist to help us in this life, in this journey of the Christian life, in this world, to overcome our infirmities and weaknesses and our sins. On Wednesday, we turn to the cross. Wednesday and Friday are both dedicated to the cross, but in a slightly different way. They're, they're dedicated to the cross in connection with the fast, that we observe on Wednesdays and Fridays. They might be called station days or days of watchfulness, days of, of reflection. And on Wednesday, you know, if we look in the great and holy week, we see that Judas betrayed Christ on Wednesday and turned him over to the authorities who would later crucify him. And so as we look at the cross on Wednesdays, we ask, don't let me be like Judas. Don't let me betray the salvation which has been given to me. And so it's reflective there. And we also remember the Virgin Mary with special hymns on Wednesday and Friday. They're called Stavro Theotokians. And Stavro means the cross. And so the hymns to the Virgin Mary on Wednesdays and Fridays are from the perspective of her standing at the foot of the cross looking at her son whom she knows to be the God of all saying how can this be how can these men overtake your life and and murder you and crucify you and deliver you to the grave they're very reflective and from that particular point of view on Thursday we celebrate the Apostles the Twelve Apostles. And uh, often, again, on the iconostasis of the church, it's not universally true, but more often than not, you'll see an icon of the Last Supper, the mystical supper over the royal doors in our churches. And there's the apostles, too, on, on the iconostasis. These were the men who fished the universe. These were the men who overcome the false heresies and the false philosophies and gave their lives all of them you know murdered crucified or meeting a violent death except of course saint john the evangelist who died in his old age and so we remember the apostles and ask them to help us to spread the faith and to overcome the world in addition to that we remember saint nicholas now, somebody could probably tell me why we celebrate St. Nicholas on Thursdays. I'm not sure why we do, but I know we do. <laughs> and I've often thought about St. Nicholas as really the, the principal figure and person that we look to as an example of almsgiving and charity. And, of course, this is one of the principal things that Christ delivered to us 
to do in his Sermon on the Mount. Almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. And so if we're praying through the week, if we're fasting on certain days during the week and in certain seasons, why not be reminded and enter into and look to the person who gives us the example for almsgiving, good deeds, and charity towards other people. And so there's St. Nicholas. He's one of the most popular saints in the church. I mean, there's no place that you can go anywhere in the Christian world, practically, that St. Nicholas is not going to be honored in one way or the other. And then, of course, Friday, we look to the cross again and the violent crucifixion of the Lord being a fasting day to watch and to be careful that we not betray our Lord as Judas did and to enter into his sufferings and, uh, and his burial that we might be united to him and be saved by him. On Saturday, you know, Saturday's the day of rest and we come to that, you know, in, in the book of Genesis that on the last day that God rested. And isn't it interesting and edifying for us to consider that the Lord in his crucifixion and burial, he was crucified on the sixth day and on the seventh day he entered into his rest. He rested in the tomb from his labors of bringing us the salvation through his blood on the cross and through his saving passion. And so on this seventh day, the day of rest, we remember all those who have gone on to their rest in the Lord, forefathers, patriarchs, prophets, evangelists, preachers, <laughs> martyrs, ascetics, and every righteous spirit made perfect in the faith. So Saturday is still the day of rest, and we enter into that theme through our hymnody and remembering all those who have gone on before us. With this at our disposal, you know, there's nothing to prevent each and every one of us from entering into this to one degree or another, either by reciting you know, the Vespers and Matins at home, or at least in our daily prayers, to include the daily hymns that contain these, these themes of all the angels and saints and the various things that happened in Christ's saving passion. God bless you, and I hope that you'll have an opportunity to uh, get a copy of these hymns and incorporate them into your prayers every day so that you might appreciate and enter into the fullness of the communion given to us when we receive the Lord's body and blood. And that was Father John Finley with Singing the Triumphal Hymn, Exploring the Orthodox Faith Through Music and Liturgy. If you would like to write Father John, his email is singing at ancientfaith.com. That's singing at ancientfaith.com. This is a listener-supported presentation of Ancient Faith Radio. 